you can be in the densest, busiest city in the world and feel isolated. You can be rural and feel isolated. Like there, there are these moments of, you know, just feeling like no one else is going through this or no one else is experiencing this. I'm the only one. I'm the loneliest girl in the world. Like I must be the only person who feels like this. Um, it's really about just making sure you have connectivity. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there, Danae here. Today on the podcast, I have an interview with Michelle Kennedy, the founder of Peanut. Peanut is a community building and networking app for mothers. So much about community has changed in the past several years with COVID. I think back to 10 years ago when I became a mother, making in-person friendships was really the only option that I considered. But now we have ample opportunities to build rich relationships with others online. And there is value in that too. Today, Michelle and I are talking a little bit about both online and in-person community. And as a woman, building your village in both of these capacities can be so useful. Michelle and I are also talking about the Invisible Mother campaign that Peanut has recently executed in order to better understand the needs of women and mothers in particular. Before I get into my chat with her, I have a one minute word from our sponsor, PrepDish. It is November and I am grateful for prep dish. I know it's not just me feeling like there's a huge piece of mental load in meal planning, finding the recipes, making the grocery list, making the time to actually execute the recipes. It's actually been several years since I had to do many of these parts because I have been using prep dish for a long time now. Prep dish doesn't provide any actual food. In fact, it's just a PDF in your inbox every week. You get a list of meals, the ingredients required, a list of tasks that you can do to prep some of the recipes in advance so that when you serve it on dish day, it only takes a few minutes to get the meal on the table. This way of breaking up your cooking into smaller parts is genius. And for a long time now has reduced my overwhelm when it comes time to actually getting the food on the table and sitting down together as a family. If you want to try it out, go to preptish.com forward slash families. You'll get two weeks free. Again, that's preptish.com forward slash families. Without further ado, here's my chat with Michelle. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for talking with me today. Thanks for having me. I want to first start by saying that this episode is in no way sponsored by Peanut, but I am really fascinated to learn about how it evolved. So I want to hear uh-huh. all the things. Tell Thank me about- you so much for having me. Um, so Peanut is a social network to connect women across different life stages. So women who are going through or experiencing their own fertility journey or trying to conceive, women who are pregnant, uh, women who are new mothers, mothers, and women now who are going through perimenopause and menopause. So really thinking about these seismic life moments that women have and experience and how can we best support them during those journeys. Okay. 
And how did you decide to start Peanut? Where were you before? Um, so I used to work in the dating industry, actually. So a totally different world, connecting people for a different purpose. Um, and I uh, really felt that there was not really anything out there that really spoke to women um, and really um, were thinking about the issues that women have. It is not universal there isn't one size fits all and and most importantly I suppose it isn't really about just producing a product um, that everyone can use and then bending it to suit yourselves there are so many specific situations and circumstances that we have as women where we don't want to talk about it just generally in public or we feel like we can't or it's not supported or people won't understand and so building a safe space where women can come and find friendship um, and find solidarity and find support was really um, kind of at the heart and, and the focus of it. And then creating a brand that sat around it, which resonated that women felt like, yeah, they get me. They see me. Um, uh, that sounds like me. I would say that um, was really important. So um, I think taking everything we knew about connecting people romantically um, and then thinking about how can we re um, think that and revise what's out there for women completely and do it with this new lens of we need connection, we need support, but we're still women and we're multifaceted and we want to feel not patronized. We want to feel relevant and that the any campaign and product is relevant. Right. So did you envision Peanut when you started out to be sort of like an online dating site to meet friends, mom friends? Exactly. It was that kind okay. of thing. It was, how do I find other women who are going through the same thing as me at the same time? How do I get that kind of connectivity? So that's exactly what it was. It was really about finding, uh, using those same algorithms um, and thinking about, okay, let's apply them to a totally different stage of life. Um, and that resonated so amazingly well. Um, and women were really finding support and finding their networks. And from there, it became completely um, a natural progression, I suppose, to think about, okay, so now we can do it on a one-to-one -one basis. How do we build community? Yeah. So my sister became a new mom in a relatively rural area. And I know that peanut has been wonderful for her to connect Amazing. with other moms, um, not necessarily in her immediate area. I mean, right. she, she will drive 30 to 40 minutes um, for playdates and meetups with other families. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting because I think that you can be in the densest, busiest city in the world and feel isolated. You can be rural and feel isolated. Like there, there are these moments of, you know, just feeling like no one else is going through this or no one else is experiencing this. I'm the only one. I'm the loneliest girl in the world. Like I must be the only person who feels like this. And whether someone is on your street or next to you or an hour away from you, being able to talk to them and share um, actually kind of eliminates any kind of distance. Um, it's really about just making sure you have connectivity. Yeah. Yeah. I'm someone that when I meet someone, I don't like to do small talk. I ask a lot of personal questions. I think perhaps it's, it's my, the therapist in me that, um, kind of <laughs> dives right in and not everyone is amenable to that. I think it could really, um, put some people off. Um, but it helps me to kind of weed out <laughs> who my people so are. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny um, because I was going to say it's kind of your job. So it's kind of a yeah. good job that you're like that. But um, <laughs> it's also one of those things where, yeah, you know, making friends as an adult is, is hard. Um, 
all those little traits or chinks that we've got because when you were younger this thing happened and you know you're you're still carrying it around with you that does impact how you make friends as a as an adult and so anything that kind of makes it easier and breaks those barriers down um and helps you get to know someone and helps you get to the to the real deal quicker yeah has to be a good thing in my book yeah so when i think about how covid changed the way we interact with each other, especially women. I wonder how that changed your mission at Peanut. You started sort of with this meeting one person, connecting with an individual. Did did you start moving more towards like online networking? How did that change? So interesting because before COVID, we had always had communities and groups on Peanut and, and that was still a very important part of Peanut we used to say you come to find friends and you stay for the community, right? You come to find that one bestie and then all of a sudden you're in a group and, you know, um, those are the women who you're saying, hey, is this normal or has this happened to you? Or, oh, my partner just did this and I want to vent, whatever it might be. Um, But they were kind of an ancillary to the finding a friend. And COVID came and obviously the whole concept of I want to find a friend kind of, went out of the window a little bit because whilst it was still really important to find a friend it was something about the messaging and the positioning of who we were meant that the potential to meet in real life even if you didn't meet in real life was extremely important and as soon as that potential to meet in real life actually was taken away because let's be honest no one was meeting in real life and that's the last thing you wanted to do um, during covid We had to change because that didn't resonate. Women didn't want to find a friend. They wanted to find a network. They wanted to find another group of women to get a canvas of opinion, to get a canvas of support, because we were all at that point very isolated and we all needed groups. Um, And so really community and groups became the real focus for Peanut at that point. Women wanted to come and talk about, should I have the vaccine? Shouldn't I have the vaccine? Are you experiencing this? What's going on here? How are you navigating this? Is this true or is this fake news or whatever it might be? Along with, I am a new parent and now I can't see anyone and I'm worried about my baby and I'm also worried about my own mental health. And, you know, the conversation was so desperately needed at that point. And I think that's where we really saw engagement, hours in app, um, engagement in community really soar because women turned to Peanut. This isn't a conversation they could have on zoom or remember when we ordered zooms um or this wasn't a conversation that we could have in on facebook feed or even in instagram in the comments this is where you needed to be very vulnerable and very honest and say do you know what i feel exhausted trapped down uh like i'm not doing the best i could be whatever it might be and it and it really became a lifeline to to millions of women yeah so are you still seeing a lot of women come to make those in-person connections as well? Yeah, I I, I would say we're back. Um, Post-COVID, we're back. Women want to find connection. They want to find friends. Um, Someone sent me a picture the other day of the most amazing play date in Canada. Um, And it was just so many women and, and babes um, at a soft play center in, uh, in somewhere in Vancouver. And for me, that is it. Yeah, we that was a peanut play day and it was amazing. And all these women who kind of mobilized themselves to get out of the house and get to the soft play and be together. And that for me is amazing. And so, yes, that potential to meet in real life is so important. Actually meeting in real life, I think is actually quite life changing for many women. 
Yeah. I do appreciate online community. However, in the past year or two for myself, I've leaned a lot more into my in-person life and in-person world. And I think that one of the things that I've noticed that is so different between the online world, the online communities that I'm involved with and the in-person communities is that the in-person communities put me with other women, other mothers who are very different from me, who have very different interests from me, very different backgrounds from me. Mm. Um, and in some ways, it that challenges me, but it also teaches me so much. And I think that that is so important that we continue to surround ourselves with people who don't exactly think like us and who are not interested in the exact things that we're interested in. Because I think in, on, in the online world, we tend to lean into those algorithms that send us in with like-minded people. What do you think the benefits are both ways? Yeah, it's really interesting because I think what you're talking about is echo chambers, right? And if we if we continue to operate only online, then and and obviously the nature of heuristics is that um if they're weighted towards volume or engagement, the more you consume of a certain type of thing, the more of that you see, right? And there are um pros and cons to that and we only have to see what happens um where there is fake news and where there is a challenge on that what that can do and so leaning further and heavier into that can obviously have very um serious consequences so um it isn't always good in that respect however there is nothing lonelier than making a friend with someone just because you need a friend and then having no commonality, right? That actually can make you feel lonelier than if you had no one in the first place because you have that moment of, would we be friends in real life? Is is the expression, you know, would yeah. would I actually want to hang out with you if it wasn't for the fact that you're a mom, I'm a mom, or you're menopause or I'm menopause or whatever it might be? Like, would would we really want that? And and if the answer is no, then that can be, I think, a real issue for many for many women. So I think that, um, as you say, the pros of meeting people who are outside your sphere of experience and your sphere of learning and your um, kind of like minded element is really important. And I think that's probably why groups and community groups on peanut are very important and very successful, because some of those are based on interest, but some of those are just based on when your baby's due. Mm. And if you are in a group of other women and your sole point of commonality is because our baby is due in April 24, well, actually, you learn so much from those women because they're not all living the same life as you. But if you want to have that one to one connection, you connect on a one to one basis. Actually, maybe it is more important that you also both really are obsessed with the Kardashians for example. So, you know, having that kind of moment of like connection and and similarity is very important, but um, agreed, there is a huge danger to echo chambers and um, kind of that insular world of just seeing more of what I I want to see only. Um, And, you know, a a problem with more mainstream networks that I think we're all familiar with. Yeah. And I've never heard that term echo chambers before thinking about social media, but yeah, I think that's exactly what I'm referring to. And I love that example of the due date groups because you're right. That is such a mixed group that you're going to come across. So mixed. Some of you are going to have different births. Some of you will have different parenting styles. Some of you will have completely different backgrounds. Some of you will be having multiples. You'll be having twins or or triplets. Um, Some of you will be adopting. 
um, or going through surrogacy, like not everyone will be having the same experience. It will just be, a you'll have different cultural backgrounds. You'll have different educational backgrounds. There'll be so much in there. But the thing that will unite you is the fact that that baby is not going to sleep and you're going to have moments of feeling kind of wrought over it. And you want someone who's just in that same position, regardless as to interest, background, whatever, to say, it's okay, it's normal, this too shall pass or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. Being that you work in this industry, how have you found building community yourself? Who do you spend your time with? Who do your kids spend time with? Yeah, very, very good question. Um, So I think that prior to Peanut, actually, I, I didn't really think about community a lot. Um, And when I say that, what I mean is I was very much focused on the me. I didn't really need other other people, so to speak. It was very much like, what's my career um, trajectory? What am I going to do to get there? And actually, the two were relatively separate. I might have had work friends. I might have had friends from school. um, but, But that was relatively separate. And I think that certainly for me, and it's very specific to the business that I run um home life work life is is kind of interchangeable so when I think about community the community I have is the community of people that I work with people that I come across through work because they're also building business um or because they're also um passionate about women's rights and and supporting women or because they're also interested um in investing or whatever it might be and and I think what I previously would not have termed community is absolutely community now Mm. um and insofar as that relates to my children you know school community and being part of their community is also important right so I now have friends and community there where you know ordinarily or historically I might not have even thought about how I would be friends with the parents of um my kids friends but it is really important because that is um, showing them the importance of relying and and being part of a community and how um, you know that can change your perspective and life and we can do things together and we can make change together or whatever it might be so I think prior to peanut what was probably community I wasn't aware that that's what it was and now um, I'm very fortunate to have lots of communities that I feel a part of Mm, yes, I, I feel the same way during COVID. Both of my kids started new schools, different schools, separate schools. So, um, and we moved to a new town, not far from where we were before. But so now we sort of have three communities that we're straddling right. The, right. the community that we live in, where most of the kids go to the local public school. And then my kids who go to independent schools in their communities. And Sometimes that feels hard, sort of straddling multiple communities, feeling we like we don't quite fit anywhere. Um, I recently was at a, an event. I was helping with a craft in one of my kids' classrooms and um, for Halloween. And we were talking, oh, I was asking the kids, you know, what are your plans for trick-or-treating? What are you going to do for Halloween? And it seemed like all of the kids had a plan with another kid in the class. Like, oh, I'm going to Sally's house and I'm going to Johnny's house and we're going here. And we didn't get invited anywhere to trick-or-treat right. with anyone. And so immediately in my mind, I'm like, 
this is my fault or sort of this is um, what have I done wrong that nobody wants to invite our family trick-or-treating with their family, Um, which actually kind of leads me into your invisible motherhood campaign, because why am I blaming myself for (laughs) my kids not getting invited out to a party or out trick-or-treating and that weight that we put on ourselves for that? First of all, literally every woman who's just listened to this ha- can relate and has has had that moment where it's like, oh my gosh, did I not invite so-and-so back for play date? Is that why they didn't get the yeah. invite? Or, um, you know, even a few months ago, my son came home, bambi-eyed, mama, did I not get invited to so-and-so's sleepover? And I was like, no. Um, but immediately I was thinking, what did I do? That mom's yeah. actually like a friend of mine. Did I not get it right? Did I forget to reply to her last message? Often I'm guilty of. And you're <laughs> right. What's it to do with us? Actually, maybe the kids yeah. have not been friendly at school this week, like right. or, or whatever. And it and it is that kind of um emotional baggage that by the way, my partner has never thought about that. He hasn't oh, it hasn't absolutely. crossed his mind. <laughs> and and he just kind of looks and when I said oh do you think everything's all right with Nico and why do you think he didn't get that invite and he'll look at me like what who's Nico um so you know there is there is a definite kind of labor and obligation that we take on ourselves and it's absolutely related to us and how you know emotionally we feel like maybe we're not doing as much as we should which is just absolutely crazy um because we're all doing so much all the time, hence yeah. the the um, state of invisibility. Yeah. Well, and there's also the fact that we also can initiate, right? And that whenever I think, whenever I kind of fall into that, woe is me, no one is inviting me, no one is inviting us, then, well, I can invite other people. I can be the one. And I've been trying to lean more into that lately. It's, it's, and also that's quite scary. You know, we're all extremely busy because we're all, kind of being told we can do it all and therefore we must do it all and then that brings itself unbelievable pressures um and uh you know yes putting yourself out there and saying okay so I'll just take control of that to make sure that that doesn't happen again how hard is that because now that's just another thing that you have to make sure that you can find time for and are you going to feed their kids and how do you do it like that it's it's never ending Let's pause for a one-minute break from our sponsor, Masterclass. Masterclass is on the top of my list of favorite clutter-free gifts to give during the holiday season. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Anything from leadership to effective communication to cooking. I really enjoyed Matthew Walker's class on the science of better sleep. In fact, he explains that there really is such thing as early birds and night owls. I have a lot of classes queued up but at the top of the list of what is to come for me is a wilderness survival class by Jesse Krebs. Now, I don't plan on getting lost in the wilderness anytime soon, but it's something I've always been curious about. What would I do if? So if you're the kind of person that is curious about a lot when it comes to the world and you love to learn, you can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash families. Right now, get 15% off masterclass.com slash families. That's masterclass.com slash families. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. Back to my chat with Michelle. Tell us more about the Invisible Mothers campaign that you've been working on and what has come out of that. Yeah, so the Invisible Mothers campaign is a a phenomenal campaign that the team have worked on here at Peanut and was really focused on um, 
looking at attitudes and sentiment of the community of peanut. What are women talking about? And we always talk about peanut really as a social barometer of what matters to women. If they're talking about it on peanut, nine times out of 10, you know, general population is talking about it. And, um, and that might be anything from elections to women's health. Um, it, it could be any number of topics. But the real topic that has been prevalent over the past six to eight months has really been around this topic of dissatisfaction and feeling invisible. Um, and so 79% of women um, who were surveyed on peanuts said that they felt invisible. And if you think about what the word invisible means, that's really quite a horrifying statistic. Nearly 80% of women feel unseen. They feel that they are completely unseen. And that I think is very troubling. And when you look further into it, 95% of women feel completely unacknowledged or unappreciated. Okay, so nearly all women feel unappreciated. Well, that's very problematic in a society where we've just told women you can do it or you can be it or in fact, not just you can, we insist you do because fiscally we're going to count on you to contribute to the economy more than we ever have before. We're going to count on you to raise our children. We're going to count on you to uh, make sure that you educate your children because there are so many things infrastructurally that aren't in place. We don't have childcare, by the way. We don't necessarily have the educational support that you need, by the way. So you're going to have to pick up all of those pieces and work and look great while you're doing it. Um, and all of these things that kind of pressure and pile up, is it any wonder that we feel completely unseen? Because actually what we want to say is, hi, still me still also need support, still also trying to navigate my way through this and my own emotions and my children's emotions and my partner's emotions and my family's emotions. So I think it is um, a very kind of alarming trend that, that we saw. Um, by far the biggest pressure point in the State of Invisibility report was around family labour and the expectations of family labour. So um, women's business what is it that women are expected to do the invisible load the stuff that we do that is just expected um uh, I, I think I read some one woman had said you know my partner will say well if you just tell me what to do what to do I'll do it yeah but the fact that I have to tell you what to do means that you think it was my job and that's part of the issue in the first place it was never yeah. my job it was our shared responsibility so it's it's moments like that and and women really feeling that they are not seen or understood also insofar as that relates to, okay, so what support can you give me? If you're going to tell me that's my job, but you're also going to tell me I have to work and you're also going to tell me that I have to help educate my child, what support can I have? And the answer is, oh, no, well, we'll still rely on the support that was, you know, around in the 1950s because let's face it, not much has changed. Well, again, it's like, right, so from a policymaker perspective, I'm invisible. From a family labour perspective, I'm, I'm invisible and on it goes. Um, so it was a very, very interesting uh, report. And I think that what we can see is not just the changes that we need to make, but the changes, some of the changes that we need to make are actually accessible. They're easy. We can do it. Thinking about the terminology that we use with women, you know, when are you going to give this man a baby? classic um you know what what about just not having any ownership over her womb at all and what about just not talking ab about that or do you want children open questions rather than you know these questions or statements that are cloaked in failure so 
a fascinating report, a very big read, a troubling read in some moments, but some moments of positivity at the end, I think, in terms of what we can do to start trying to make a change. Yeah. You know, and so often I've seen conversations about these topics in online communities, and I see a lot of women feeling seen by other women. However, sometimes it feels like it's commiserating and it doesn't really go anywhere. There's not really a solution, right? So we can talk about it. We can feel seen by other women and know that we're not alone. So what's the next step in making change? I think the next step in making change is really about the language is so important. Language frames how we interpret ourselves as well as how we interpret other people. And and that's a cycle, right? So if we hear language which describes or um, frames things in a certain way or expectation, and we then mimic that, we also at the same time are applying it to ourselves. So as you hear someone asking that type of question or using that kind of statement um you you are putting yourself in that position too you're thinking all right that must be how they see me or that must be you know what they uh, what view they hold on the world that's interesting i i fall into that too so i think that things that we can do thinking about okay what can we do around gender stereotypes what kind of educational support um and work can we do there how can we challenge the idea that it's well if you tell me what to do I'll do it versus how how about you realize that that's a a job to be done um, and you're going to have some initiative and do it and you won't kind of gender stereotype that that would be traditionally mine so I think something around um, gender stereotypes and the education there is important I think um representation of parents in the media not just mothers parents is really important how often do you think about um doing the school drop or taking the babe home from hospital or whatever and what you see is mom um and obviously that's wonderful and moments of joy but actually if we don't show equal representation of parents what happens is of course the gender norm becomes all oh, right well that's mom's job um, and that's what she does. So I think just making sure that we have that kind of adequate representation. Some of the stuff is really obvious. And I can't even believe that we're still saying it. But how many times have you been out with your partner and he says, I'll change the baby on this very rare occasion, but there's no changing table or changing mm-hmm. station where, you know, he goes to change the baby where you're in a heterosexual relationship. That can be very challenging. If you're in a same sex relationship and you're not able to get into the women's bathroom how should you change your baby um so simple things like that which are really indicative of the fact that we want access for all parents we want representation for all parents to make sure that women don't become invisible in this from big topics right down to very basic um easy solves yeah I um, have been thinking this week in preparation for our conversation, just some examples of times where this has come up for me and where I feel like I am also part of the problem. And I think, you know, when you connect mom and you build community of moms, we get more comfortable talking to other moms and those are our people. So it's more natural for us to arrange a play date by getting in touch with the other mom, right? If you're a woman, I think that comfort level is, is naturally more secure with other women who are in a similar, um, similar life phase as you. So yeah. 
Um, I actually sent out invitations for one of my kids' birthday parties recently. And the way that I get in touch with parents for my kids' schools is there's an online directory. So I will search the child's name in the online directory, and then it pops up with both parents' names and phone numbers. And what did I do but look up the names and choose the mother's name and the mother's email address and sent the invitation to the mother. And I actually thought about it when I was doing it, thinking, I should probably send it to the dad, but I'm being charged per email address that I'm sending these invitations to. So it would have cost me twice as much to send it to both. So I really, it only made sense to send it to one. And if someone sent the invitation to my partner, he would assume that I also got it and wouldn't respond to it. So (laughs) just in my mind, knowing that the, the mother is the one that is typically used to getting the invitation, typically responsible for responding. And that's who I sent the invitation to and therefore kind of perpetuate this, right? Primary parent always, right? That's, that's how it is. And it's exactly the same. um, If you know, you have a child who's at nursery or daycare um, and it will be mum who will get the first call, right? Um, because we are placed in that primary um, care role. And I think that there are times where we do just have to make a conscious decision to change that um, so that um, if there is a messaging group that all the parents are in or make sure that all the parents are in so that, you know, there yeah. is that shared responsibility. And um, uh, even you know, here I am running the company that I do. And, you know, we have a team who build incredible reports and initiatives like this. And yet my partner will still say to me, oh, my babysitting the children on Friday <laughs> if uh, if you're out. Well, it's not babysitting if they're your children, just right. so we're clear. Um, right. And no one ever has asked me if I'm babysitting my children. Right. <laughs> So right. that there are just these moments where the the fix is easy and yeah. and it we're I'm as guilty as you of of the exact same thing of you know contacting mom or whatever it might be and um it's just about being cognizant of it and and making an active decision to say do you know what no I'm actually not going to do it in that way yeah the other thing that I'm guilty of is when my kids' teachers email or if I need to email them or anyone from the school that I will frequently forget to put my husband on there and forget to CC him. So he's completely out of the loop for whatever is going on. And then I fill him in on it later. He's, well, why didn't you CC me? I'm like, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I just forgot. And like, I'll reply all sometimes and I'll forget to reply all with him. And so I think that I need to make a more conscious effort to bring him in to conversations like that because he really can't be a part of it if um, he doesn't even know what's going on. (laughs) So making that transition, looping him in. It is. It's what I said before. Language and the language that's used, you apply it to yourself Mm -hmm. as well as, as, you know, seeing other people use it. So if you're seeing it and you're observing it and you're being part of it and someone says to you, the moment you have the baby, you lose your name, right? No, no one ever called me Michelle. They yeah. called me mommy or mom or Finn's mom. And that's who I became. Oh, Finn's mom or, you know, and, and that's who I became. And so, of course, Finn's mom sends the email to school or mm-hmm. daycare or whatever it is because that. So it is about, okay, if that's the language that was used, let's think about correcting it. Hi, actually, I'm Michelle. This is Richard. We're Finn's parents. Like that kind of moment yeah. of, of of change I think is really important and it's hard 
but it's possible if you're cognizant of it because you know what we are in a enlightened position we know what the issues are we know how women really feel about this and we can make this change and if we start doing it the language our children see us use yeah immediately changes and then they don't think to do that so it's about kind of trying to break the cycle now I suppose yeah I feel like how we call parents by their kids' names, like Finn's mom, Finn's dad. I think that, this is just my own theory, is that it's a little bit of our own laziness because often we don't know what the PC term is to call them, right? So I don't know if you want to be called Ms. Kennedy or Mrs. Kennedy or Michelle. And it would take that extra step for me to say, hey, you're Finn's mom. What should I have my kid call you? Right. And ask right. Him, and then tell me, hey, this is Finn's mom. Her name is Michelle. Or this is Finn's mom. Her name is Miss Kennedy. So I think that right. it, that it takes a lot of work, right? In order to yeah. figure out what the right thing to call them is and then just we default with totally. Other. Unless so. you take control of it. Unless you say, Hey, I'm Finn's mom. My name's Michelle. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so there are ways around it. And I, I just think that um if we can start it now, some of the changes are so immediate. Some of these are systemic problems that need change. Childcare, that is a systemic issue that needs change. Educational support, systemic. Those things, we're going to have to, we require armies to change, right? And we can do mm-hmm. it and, and we can keep having the conversation so that we can make the change. But that takes time. That takes political pressure. That takes us really using our voice that we now have at the table to say, hey, you know what? Those taxes that you need me to pay because you now need me to contribute to the economy. Well, I have a request around where they're going. And my request is that that goes to support women who are working and, you know, we need adequate jobs, um, uh, support in childcare or whatever it might be. So that is a a longer game and we have Mm. to be in it now but the short wins and the easier wins are things that are within our control. Yeah, absolutely. It's been so nice chatting with you, Michelle. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Michelle Kennedy, the founder of Peanut. If you're interested in learning more about Peanut's Invisible Mother campaign, I'll include the link to that in my show notes. As always, thanks for tuning in and I'll talk with you next month.